You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I know I say this every week, but... Seriously, thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a really good episode for you this week. We are talking about things that I honestly have no business talking about, especially on the Patreon episode. But I was educated, and it was a really fun conversation. So I guess a good plug for the top of this episode is if you like the show and you'd like to get extra content, just remember you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob where for five bucks a month you can get extra episodes streamed to your ears every week huge shout out to the patrons who are all contributing and you know honestly it means the world and it's kind of insane that so many of you would be down to do that so thank you to the patrons but also you know thank you to everyone who just listens this this show is uh it's really growing and it's kind of astounding to see new folks messaging in every week and talking about, I mean, we talk about a lot of things. It was supposed to just be a gear podcast in the beginning, and it's evolved into a whole community and a completely different monster than I originally intended. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can follow me on Instagram at The Tone Mob, and you could join the Facebook group, The Tone Mob Facebook group. That's a lot of plugging. Let's get into this episode right away. No more delays. This is an epic conversation with Mr. Scott Strange from Templo Audio Devices. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland. With me today, I have Scott Strange from Templo Audio Devices. What's going on, dude? Howdy. Well, I just woke up. <laughs> we have a, a late schedule here. Yeah. Yeah. What part of the world are you in? I'm on the Pacific coast of Canada. Okay. So you're just up a little ways from me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, so, we, yeah, we were talking, you know, off the air about instagram and blah 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 all kinds of other stuff and we can get into all that stuff when we when we chat here a little bit further but you know you make some interesting stuff you make some things that i haven't nice. seen publicly available and that's always an a tough thing to do in the guitar space at times it feels like everything's been done or only people are only interested in classic interpretations of you know i want to i want your take on a tone bender but you haven't yeah. really done that. You've you forged your own path. So I'd be really curious to hear, you know, what got you started playing guitar in the first place and then now running this company. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I feel like that's kind of always been my strategy, uh, even in like my previous interest was like, 
I could compete with everything else that's out there, or I could go, hey, look over here, nobody's doing this. And then I'm kind of the best at this thing that nobody's doing, you know, like find the thing where there's, there's a lot of room to kind of, to do my own thing, I guess, uh, which is kind of, you know, it's like a, like a, a cheat code, if you will, you know, it's, it's a right. little bit easier, but at the same time, it's also difficult because there's the challenges of, of forging that own path that you don't have as much competition. But, um, I actually used to be a professional magician, believe it or not, for oh. about a decade. Oh, yeah. Really? This is going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't tend to get into it because then the next thing somebody's like, show me a trick. But uh, yeah, I did that for a long time. Like I started when I was like 10 and went till 23. And I I won the second place in the Canadian championships. There was like contests and all this stuff. And I I was like inventing tricks was a big thing. Uh, I'd like write for other magicians and come up with stuff. And, And again, in that field, I went, what's nobody doing? What? where's the room to kind of explore and and yeah so it just kind of evolves that way and and same with music i didn't set out to go i want to find a a hole in the market i went what do i need and then i made it for myself and and then i went i just used it and then i'd run into people and go look at this cool thing i got Uh, and they'd say where do i get one like well i guess i'd have to make you one but I, i don't really have you know the stuff so eventually it kind of just turned into it naturally me going hey maybe i'll instead of making one-offs of these out of like old suit i was making amps into suitcases with whatever speakers i would salvage or you know i do it do a lot of traveling i spent after after magic i quit magic and and uh basically what happened the transition into music was uh i was a magician and i started venturing further and further from home and taking less and less stuff and realizing hey, I can kind of just get by on my skills. I don't really need as much stability. And then I started kind of like I went to another city and I lived there for a bit. And then I kind of came home and uh, was staying with a friend and working for him. And he was just paying me to write stuff for a show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to hitchhike across the country and then down to Vegas. And I'm just going to see if I can make it doing magic there. And I called up a friend who I kind of barely knew him at the time. Uh, But I was like, I thought like, who would be, the one person who I would, who would make this journey, like who could handle this. And I knew this guy and I said, Hey, you want to, you want to come travel across the country with me? And he said, sure. Give me two weeks to quit my band and my job and we'll go. And, uh, and he was a musician. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, sure. And we barely knew each other. Yeah. We knew each other like through a friend and we kind of hung out a few times, but I just knew kind of his character. And I was like, this guy can handle, you know, I was in boy Scouts a lot too. And like, so I wasn't worried about me. I always kind of was resourceful. So I was like, let's, let's do this. We ended up crossing the country. Uh, it was quite a learning experience. And then we ended up on the West coast of Canada. We were in like the East coast and, uh, we crossed the country and then he stayed there where we got to like this hippie surfer town. He stayed there and I kept, I love traveling. So I just kept going and I went for a decade after that, just kind of living in a backpack and, and making weird stuff. And, but basically we crossed the country and at one point, I just remember this moment where he was playing guitar and I was like clapping along and, and we were just all having a great time on a train. And, and I was like, man, I want to, I want that. Like magic is fun and I can get a specific reaction from people like wonder and amazement and, and shock. But there's something about music that allows you to express a different aspect of yourself that I'm not kind of reaching with the, the art form I have right now. So I was like, I'm going to do that. So he said, and I played a bit of guitar like in school and I I think I'd bought like a, a Les Paul knockoff at some point. 
tried a, a little bit and, and then sold it. But um, he said, go buy a cheap, the cheapest guitar you can get and just learn theory for a year and come back. This was my buddy I traveled with. So I went and got a Jay Terser, like acoustic, and then just practiced and practiced and just dragged it with me all across uh, North America. And, and that was how it kind of started and just kept going. And at this point, are you, you know, once you've picked up this guitar, did you immediately know you wanted to play shows, record music or like what was, or just kind of play around the campfire? Like what was your idea with it? Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think, see, I, I noticed, um, I was very lucky in magic that, uh, I think at one point when I was very young, I said to my parents, I said, would you be upset if I just stopped doing this? I know you guys put a lot of energy into this and, and money and, and all this stuff. Would you guys be mad if I just like changed my mind? And they're like, no, it's just enjoy it. And so I was kind of lucky like that, that path kind of happened that way where I think when you're young and you do something and it becomes your identity, like if you're the music guy or, you know, the car guy or whatever, there's this pressure to kind of turn it into something to, to have something to show for it. Um, and so I was lucky that I came into music later and it, it was just purely for enjoyment. So I didn't feel like I had to make a record or, or, or be a character or make or do shows or anything. I just got to play music and, and have fun with it. So, I mean, to this day, I don't have any albums or anything, but I've played tons of stages and had bands and all kinds of stuff, but it was just for the love of it. Yeah, that's an interesting thing that you, you brought up. There is a certain pressure once you find yourself being, it's funny you brought up cars and music because that was me. I was the car and music <laughs> guy. And in my mind, I knew I wasn't going to, I've said this a million times on the show, but I know that I'm not like, I'm not tough enough for that touring rock and roll lifestyle. As cool as some aspects of, as that may be, I, uh, I just don't have the fortitude for it. <laughs> I just know that, right? Like I could be a mountain man before I could do that. You know, that, that would just be too much Well, it's not as great as you me. would think. Gas station food I, sucks. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a lot of the mindset, right? Like I kind of knew early on that I couldn't do that part of it. What I didn't know, and this it's kind of funny. There's a listener of the show named Brandon, and he's a middle school uh, like music teacher. Mm -hmm. And he had me come on a Skype call and, and talk to some of his students recently, which was kind of crazy. I was like, why does anybody want to talk to me? But, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, and we were talking about that, and that was one of the the things. I was like, if you think you want to do something music related, it doesn't have to be as the musician themselves. Like you can play guitar, and like maybe your thing is like you like to work on guitars. Maybe you like to, yeah, you know, produce. Maybe you like, you know, whatever. There's so many different avenues where you can work that are tangential to your tangent that i i don't know if i said that word right but you know what i mean that it's are that are aligned yeah. <laughs> that are lined up with it your is. interests um that's a word you got to get a run up to you know, you gotta, I, know. I was like ready for it and I've, i say it all the time but I'm like, yeah sure um but anyway there's so many things that you can do in a given field like that you're you know in your mind it's like oh you got to be the the rock star to, in, in order to make it. And it's like, there's plenty, there's thousands of jobs in, yeah. in this industry that will allow you to still be involved with the thing that you love on a daily basis. That isn't, mm -hmm. you know, the rock star. I think that's kind of a, like maybe a North American uh, narrative 
uh, in like I feel like music kind of took it went from like a a, a way of sharing culture and and history and and connecting to becoming like an ego pursuit and an individual pursuit, uh, especially in North America. Whereas like I spent a lot of time in Mexico in my travels and I lived down there a bunch and it was my favorite place to play music because just that feeling of when you play, like it's everybody is, is um, like, it's not about the ego. It's not about the self. It's about sharing and making that music good for the sake of the listeners and the moment and like it was it was a way to bring people together and and have joy rather than be like look at how cool i am and i really enjoyed that aspect of it and and in different cultures i find that and so having that narrative of like you have to be this star and i've i felt that too for a little bit but I, i never really pursued it because again like i said i came in late and there wasn't that deep rooted kind of uh societal pressure i guess to kind of make something of it or to have something to show for that that investment but i think like what you were saying is is uh, all these different uh, aspects related to music um to to choose something and then just be masterful at that pursuit rather than than be that that one thing uh or that one main idea that everybody has of the rock star there's all these other things like i have a good friend dave and he's he's a master at uh tube circuits and and pedals and electronics and vintage stuff and like i'll call him and he'll just know what a problem is i'll say oh this thing is doing this and he goes oh it's probably this this or this and he's just a wealth of information on those things and that's his mastery like and that's where he gets his joy from so you know he could so and then we always have that conversation of like oh we should be recording like we should be making music with this stuff we're building and i'm more in that field a bit more where i'm i I build a lot but i also want to play a lot and for me the building is an ends to a means whereas for him i think the building is the pursuit and that's a beautiful thing and and there's he always feels that pressure of like oh i guess i should record something or have something to show for this but the items he builds are the things he has to show for it yeah, I mean, I certainly have felt that pressure in the last, you know, four to six months uh, so much sh- so that I I did release a record. I just released it yesterday, actually. Oh, congratulations. But... Thank you. What's it called? Thank you. Uh, so it's called Tom, Do You Have Anything Sharp on You? And I <laughs> did it under the, uh, the moniker uh, American Cyclops. And it's actually available on this podcast um, cool. exclusively for three months after, you know, after yesterday, but the listeners probably know all about that already, but you can check it out if you was, want. Was that but a it, quote you heard like from going through airport security or something? And that was a, heard that quote. <laughs> so I don't think I've actually talked about this publicly. There's a text chat that goes along with this podcast where listeners text me and we, I, I text them things back and forth and it's a, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, so they know this story. But on this record, I did a lot of field recordings, mm-hmm. and and so there's a lot of you know there's trains and cars and things like that. But one of the recordings I've got, I just so happened to be on the other side of a hedge while someone was getting arrested, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the situation was. I couldn't see the person or the officer. I just could tell what was going on by the sound. And so I just recorded it really fast, and it's actually on the record. You can hear the 
the officer say, Tom, do you have anything sharp on you? And I weaved it into the story that I had in my mind uh, when I made the record. So that's why it's called that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but uh, and I don't so remember can, what I was talking can I about. Ask... Well, how did I even get there? I don't know. <laughs> but... Oh, we just kind of wandered down an alleyway and here we are. Cool. What were you going to say? I was just going to say like, um, and what was the, the pressure? Like you were saying, we were talking about that pressure and you released an album. And was that, does that have to do with kind of the changing times right now and having maybe a different income? Cause I know a lot of people are switching, you know, cause they can't do shows. So people are leaning more into recording and writing right now. Or, or what was the, the impetus to, to release that record? Well, I had list, I had so many guests on, especially late last year where the subject would turn to being able to create and be creative and work in this space. And I looked around me and I'm so spoiled. I am one of the most incredibly spoiled humans on the planet. I have my own studio space that's separate from my house that I can go out. That's, you know, pretty soundproof and I could jam until one in the morning if I Mm -hmm. so chose to and in the middle of town and no one's going to care. And also like a gross amount of gear. Uh, like I'm a, I'm a gear hoarder and I have been doing it for a long time and I have all of this gear, right? And between some guests being really inspiring, like, and explaining their process and me realizing that like I could do more than just pedal demos. Right. Like I could, I like pedal demos. I love pedal demos and they're super cool and super important to help people make decisions about things they want to buy. But they're not from your soul. <laughs> they're not generally from your soul at all. And I just realized that I wanted to do music just to do music. I wanted to create something. I wanted to create music for music's sake. Yeah. I didn't want to do it for any other reason. And I made it a goal, again, with that the, my text chat people. I was like, I'm going to have a record out by February 28th. I originally said an EP. And it kind of spiraled out of control (laughs) Uh, and things just started kind of pouring out and I had all these different ideas I wanted to explore and it ended up being a little bit longer and I ended up having all the music done before that date, but I didn't get to release it until yesterday, which was March 9th. So I was a little bit behind schedule, but the pressure came from like a being inspired, but also B I've I've said this on the podcast before, like 14 year old me would like absolutely be livid that I yeah, have all, gear all this access. Yeah. I have all this access to all yeah. this amazing stuff and I'm uh-huh. not going to, I'm just noodling by myself in the middle of the night. Like, no, yeah. that's not cool. You got to put this stuff to use. And so I, re- I really put it to use. I really went crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So like that's, seizing that's that. like being in the moment and, and using the time that you have to, and the equipment to, to do something with yourself, you know? That's, I'm in that same position right now because I've been traveling for a decade and now I have the largest amount of gear I've ever had and I have everything I would need to record professionally. I just built a, a vintage tube compressor. I have a really good interface, really good microphones. I'm building ribbon microphones. I have a, a full, like you, a jam space fully set up and I'm in the middle of nowhere so I can play at any time. Right, I mean, like right now, I was saying there's construction in the lot next door, but after business hours, it's dead quiet here. So yeah, I have that same feeling and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to work on a record as well, just for awesome. to first have something for myself. And I think I think 
what you were talking about where your friend is feeling pressured, like I think that can be a good thing because uh, mm-hmm. more music is always a good thing. But I don't think you should feel pressured in the way that you're like, you're like obligated. I think it should be a good feeling. Be like, man, I will, you should be inspired and not forced. I think that yeah, it's that's the like a nagging feeling. You should do more push-ups or something. And instead of just letting that make you feel more depressed, you should use it as motivation. And that's just, yeah, turning it into a positive. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I feel like there's a side of the story that we, we segued away from, and that is like <laughs> your company. <laughs> How uh-huh. did you start making stuff? How did you start having, I'll let you tell the story because you have one particular thing that you re- are really known for, but you have other stuff too. So let's, let's weave the whole tale together. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to start at birth or like when I started like just tinkering or when this company started? When did you like make something and think, I think I can make a business out of this? Ah, well, it, see, I never, my focus was never, uh, let's make a business. I'm not a businessman. I'm a terrible businessman, uh, because I just want everybody to have everything. So, what I would do is travel around and I was usually in a backpack, but in the later years of traveling, I started having a vehicle of some kind. I'd get a little truck or something and then I'd build a little house on the back uh, and then just kind of tour across Canada mostly. I did the States a few times uh, and I'd just drive around and collect weird stuff, thrift stores and garage sales and junkyards. And, you know, when you're out in the world, you run into all kinds of things. Like I found some crazy stuff, like an old tube amp in an old barn that my friend brought me to in the middle of the woods. I'm like, hey, you can have this, you know. And so I'd run into all this stuff and I would repurpose it, like fix it up or or uh, turn it into something else. I'd make like pedals out of like a fire alarm pole or something like that and just would tinker with all that stuff. So and then I would kind of give it away or just sell it for whatever I needed to to keep going, you know, for a meal or something or trade it for something cool. Or, or send it to my friend Dave, who is the, the more uh, technically able. Uh, like, I'm, our skills kind of overlap, but he's he was way stronger. And, and because that was his thing, like, since he was young, was circuits. And mine's more, like, mechanical and, and physically building stuff. Um, but, yeah, so it was just that kind of nature of, like, me making things because it was fun. And then I uh, – so I needed a battery amp because I traveled – I took that Jay Terser originally and I put a, I went to see Dave when I, in the early days of our friendship and I put a pickup in it. And then I ended up building actually a, uh, one of those little Fender nine volt battery amps, you know, the little belt clip ones. I built one of those into the actual acoustic guitar, uh, which was ridiculous. There was like animal fur used as uh, padding and all kinds of leather and bolts and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that because that was the genesis of it. It was like, okay, I, I want to play electric because I want to play pedals. I want to make effects. And I started as I started kind of broadening like my palette of, of sonic colors, I was like, well, I, I can't go back to just strumming an acoustic on the street corner. I mean, I did up and down, like back and forth a few times over the years, but it was always back to I'd like to be amplified and I'd like to use pedals because Dave was very much an analog pedal guy. So I was always like I had my individual pedals rather than like one of those multi-effects which, you know, those are useful as well, but I went down that path. And so I ended up building, you know, a, a version of that 9-volt battery amp into like a little lunchbox. And then Dave, every time I go back and see Dave after long journeys, you go, oh, I found something. And it, the next time it was 
this uh, chip for car radios and you could get, I think, 10 or 15 watts off of it. But the, there was always a catch. Like you either needed a bigger battery or like I need two drill batteries or something inconvenient where it worked for me because I knew what I was doing. But I was like, I can't reproduce this because I can't say to, you know, I'm these musicians I meet. They're like, oh, I want one of those. It's like, okay, great. You take two drill batteries, you alligator clip them together. And, <laughs> you know, like it just wouldn't work. So for a long time, there was always kind of limitations to what uh, I could do. So it, it would work for me, but I always wanted to share it. And then eventually I got to the point where I found this board that worked on 12 volts, got the voltage I needed. It was extremely efficient um, and I could easily get large amounts of them like because some of the ones we had found were like discontinued or incredibly expensive. I found this one that was really powerful, but was super complicated and had all this digital switching stuff. So it was just this like journey of like, how do I find a chip that does what I need it to do? Because there isn't really an industry for this. So it was kind of like some car stuff because it was 12 volts. Um, so it was just kind of like figuring it out over time. And, uh, I just kept making like a better version and we changed the preamp. I changed my batteries. I changed the speaker. I put it in a different enclosure. And then I had this one I, I used for about five years and it went everywhere with me. It was like in this military, um, gas mask container. It's like, um, sort of like a suitcase, but made of aluminum. It was like, you could throw it around. And I brought that like to Guatemala and on river boats and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then I remember one time I was on a rooftop in Mexico with my band and my buddy had a battery amp as well. That was from Argentina, which was like, it was a hilarious thing too, but it was louder than mine. And at one point they kind of left me in the dust, the drummer and the keyboard player. And I remember going like, guys, like, this is my song. You can't hear me. Like, where are you going? And they just kind of, they didn't care because they were into it. And they're like, it's rock and roll. You either keep up or, or get lost. And so I, I kind of like swore to myself and that one was like, I'm going to make this thing louder. I'm going to, I'm going to make it more powerful. I'm going to be able to keep up. So I went home and figured it out. And then anyway, I found another chip and, uh, and right when I found that chip, I was back in Mexico. I was living on the beach and I found this specific chip online. I ordered it to where I was. I tried it. I went, this is the key. I can now reproduce this thing. But I was still wasn't thinking business. I was still thinking my short-term uh, turnover of, of being a traveler and just, you know, finding a thing, like a suitcase, find a battery, find a speaker, put them together, put this chip in there, build a preamp, and then kind of sell it to somebody as a one-off. And that was kind of how I lived. I just kind of do one-offs and whatever I needed at the time. Uh, and then I was just about to leave Mexico. I get on a plane. And I have my amp with me and sitting next to me on the plane is this guy. And he goes, Hey, what's, what's that thing you got? And I was like, Oh, it's my amp. I always kind of wanted to make these for my friends. And he starts kind of asking me questions, like kind of interested. And it turns out he's like an angel investor. So he's like, Oh yeah, well I could help you get started. Uh, and my, my partner's a business lawyer and like, we can kind of guide you. And I was like, that sounds really cool, but I don't want to stop traveling. Like that's a huge shift. And I knew that right away. I was like, that's a big life shift. And I don't know if I would be able to handle it because it's a huge investment uh, of time and energy. And I was like, I know I'm going to get antsy. I haven't stayed still for more than a month in 10 years. So that that's a big jump. Uh, so I said, give me your card and I'll, I'll think about it. And so I came back to Canada and I got another truck. I built a house on it. I started driving around, doing my thing again, collecting stuff. And I sold an amp to a friend for a good amount. And I was like, hey, if I can sell one of these out of, you know, made out of random stuff. Why don't I take this guy up on it and buy 
10 speakers, 10 batteries, you know, and, and kind of ramp it up. I was like, maybe I can do it. But I was still thinking, this is a quick turnaround. He's going to lend me money. I'm going to make this run of amps, sell them easily, and then return his money and have a profit and I can continue traveling. Was my thinking. But I was like, I didn't realize, like, you have to build a brand. You have to, you know, like, there's all kinds of things that go into it if you're not uh, selling it in person to somebody and they could try it and ask you questions and stuff. If you're just selling online, then they're like, well, who are you? Right. Right. So that took a whole, a long time. So I started doing that. And then about a couple months in, I realized, and I was still living in my truck at this time, trying to start this company. So I was like sleeping outside a maker space and using their laser to cut the boxes and, and just kind of figuring out how to have a business. Like I started calling places going, Hey, where do I get speakers? Where do I get Tolex and all this stuff? I found a, a, a pin company. They made my, my logo badges. I just was kind of figuring it out all on my own. At this point, his, I guess, um, his, uh, girlfriend or whatever had taken off. So he, it ended up being by the time I got a hold of him, he just lent me money. So I had no guidance. I, I was expecting like, you know, a little bit of business guidance or kind of going to him and going, here's my plan. What do you think? Some, you know, and basically it was just him going, here's some money, make this work, which was an extra challenge. Cause I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing and I live in a truck. <laughs> so right, <laughs> let's see, let's see what I can do with this. And so about two or three months in, I realized, oh, this is long-term. I have to build a brand and I should probably make, so the, the Rambler was kind of my first take but it wasn't my ideal amp. It was like, what can I do with the budget I'm given and my first try? So it's it's a great amp, and I still love it. Um, uh, and it's very useful for a lot. Like, I still use it for certain applications. But it wasn't like, okay, if you could build the perfect product, what would it be? So I said, I went back to him, and I said, okay, we're going to we're gonna make a second amp, which is the Nomad, and I'm going to put my all into it. And I spent, I think, eight or nine months really developing it and all the features and 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 um, prototyping and all this stuff and working out and getting feedback from people. And, um, and it ended up pretty good. And then when COVID hit, he just kind of said, okay, you're on your own. And so basically from there, I've just been kind of coasting on, on that start and it's going well. I actually have a, a workshop now and a place to live and, and, and it's kind of picking up. People are, are noticing it and going, Hey, that's something I need or I have needed and hasn't been available. So I'm I'm really grateful to be able to to kind of fill that space for people. Like whenever somebody says that to me, it makes me smile where they're like, man, I, I've been looking for something like that. And it's always a different kind of use, which is really neat. It's never like the same thing. You know, some guy just wrote me, said, oh, I'm on tour and I've been using a mini mixer for my drum kit mics. Uh, that splice would be handy or or I'm doing this, uh, I'm doing vocals through this pedal or or whatever. And so it's kind of neat to be able to make these things. And that's what I try to do is make it as versatile as possible. I mean, it it's fit in this <laughs> this weird thing because I'm, I'm sitting here going, I've always wanted to, and now that I've gotten through this recording process, I want to I, I do want to try this at some point. I've always wanted to go on location, but I'm a big like electric guitar guy and pedal guy. But I've always mm -hmm. wanted to go to different places and record in different outdoor settings just to see what happens, you know, um, I'm sitting here looking like at natural like, acoustics. Uh, exactly. And, and just like, you know, if a bird flies by, I want to, I want that to be on there, you know, mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, the guy getting arrested, like just, he yeah. doesn't know that, 
that actually ended up being on a record <laughs> and like <laughs> you know it, it's kind of a it's a bigger subject of like you know almost like butterfly effect thing yeah where you don't know how simply just walking out your front door might influence somebody else to do something else and you have no idea yeah you know Oh man, that's how I lived for a decade. That's what the, that's what was the magic and the allure of traveling. It was like a drug where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who you're going to meet. And if, it's kind of like getting into the flow of life. Like if life was a river, when you're sitting in your house, you're on the banks. And as soon as you go out into the streets, you can just get pulled into whatever, good or bad. And traveling was, you know, you're making friends, you're having adventures. There's all kinds of stuff just every single day. And that's kind of the beauty of of not being tethered to a wall with an amp is you can kind of just pick up and, and go with what's happening. So when you were traveling around, like it's, it's kind of interesting because viewed through a different lens, like you talk about like, well, I was traveling for 10 years, uh-huh. you know, some people might say you were homeless for 10 years, but That'd obviously you were, you were doing it, but you were doing it in intentionally. I prefer know? home free, home free. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the more you own, the more it owns you, you know? So I was a vegan for a while. Oh, you did that? No, not actually. I was a pretty classy hobo, to be honest, compared to my friends. But yeah, it was it was a choice. I was choosing that. What now? If somebody wants to like, like obviously, there's a lot of people that are forced into that lifestyle that would rather not. But yep. for somebody that would choose to go do that, like what what would be some advice you'd have for them? Ooh, that's a good question. It's. I think it was difficult in a sense because I chose it and and a lot of my friends, I mean, a lot of my friends also had chosen it, but for different reasons, maybe like it was less of a, of an escaping a bad situation, which a lot of people do. Um, and which is completely understandable. I mean, would you rather, you know, be in a really bad situation or have no employment or, or have an addiction or, or an abusive home scenario and and just stay there or just go out and see what else is out there. And so it is a good option in, in a lot of ways. But I think having that mindset of like, I want to be here was really helpful because whenever there were hardships, uh, which, you know, are frequent when you're kind of exposed to the elements and just kind of living day to day, you you keep in mind that it's your choice. And so you can then frame them as things that are, that are honing you that are making you more resilient or stronger. Um, and I use, always used to say that like the road would teach me lessons. And, and I, I mean, you can frame it however you want. It was just a way of using an esoteric idea to, to, to frame the ideas that you would, these concepts you would learn or this wisdom you would, you would gather if you kind of paid attention. Uh, so for example, standing on the side of the road and and hitchhiking, I did lots of hitchhiking. I think, I've I've crossed Canada by me twelve times. I've hitchhiked like the whole outline and like the the outer border of the states. Um, and you so you spend a lot of time on the side of the road with your hand out. And sometimes you just go, "Damn it, I'm annoyed. Why is nobody picking me up? Somebody should pick me up faster. I've been waiting forever." And then that goes away eventually. Um, you stop feeling this entitlement or this impatience, and then you go. I'm just here like this. I'm alive right now and here and it's really nice out. I have nowhere to be. I don't have any responsibilities or pressures. I'm just alive. And that's, 
one of the greatest thrills of, of hitchhiking. Once you kind of relax that, that stress that we always get from like normal life, I guess it's really beautiful when you, when you kind of go, Oh, I'm, I'm here now. So I would, you know, I'd be driving and going, Oh, I got to get somewhere or, or be here. And then I would just go, Oh no, this is, this is my life. So I just pull over and like brush my teeth in a parking lot because there's not a later. It's like, this is your existence now. And so that it really brought that home. Um, I think was the, was the biggest thing, but you'd learn, yeah, to just kind of be patient, I think. And, and things will happen when they happen. And then as soon as you would relax, you would get a ride and you'd get an awesome ride or, you know, somebody pick you up and, you know, give you food or, or weed or, or bring you to a swimming hole after you'd been in the sun all day. Like there was always things that kind of confirmed that lesson as soon as you would kind of relax and let life kind of handle it. When you are doing that and just kind of being in the moment and experiencing things as they come, it's a mm -hmm. very different way. It's a very different mindset, I would imagine, versus when you are living in quote unquote normal society and your what you do is often your sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people, you know, are wondering what they're supposed to be doing with their lives or trying to figure out what they're supposed to do with their lives. But what if the answer for some people is you don't have to do anything? Just, yeah, just enjoy be, yourself. <laughs> just be around and do your thing. And as long as you're not hurting anybody, you're in good shape. You know? Yeah. I, th I think for in a lot of ways, animals have it right. Like dog, like my dog just hangs out and he's not upset if he's not accomplishing anything. He's like, oh, this is nice. I'm laying in the sun. Oh, what's that? Some food? Oh, you know, like, and it, it can be a simplistic way to look at things. But I think... I think that's kind of the beauty of, of music when you're really playing music, uh, you know, when you're really in it is that timelessness where you just lose yourself in it and, and you're just kind of floating on that, that magic or, or whatever it is when, you know, when, when you play, like, let's say you're home alone at night and you just start singing for yourself. That's when you're really kind of existing. And that's, that's a lot of the music that I've made. And I really enjoy, I, I guess, getting back to like the, the having a purpose for your music and recording and such I've done, I've like killed it sometimes. And I mean that subjectively, obviously, but like, I know sometimes I've like, I do a lot of like freestyling and, and beatbox guitar, weird stuff and like rapping about scenarios. And sometimes I've just killed it and I go, damn, I wish I would have recorded that. And then I go, <laughs> but it's, it's way better because it, that was it. It existed in that moment. And like, without being too esoteric or hippie about it, like that was really, there was really a joy in going, that was great because it was just there. And if I would have recorded it and listened back, it would degrade over time. Every time I'd listen to it, it'd be less good. I think, uh, I mean, not always, but there's something about the magic of it just existing for that moment. Um, and so I've had lots of those moments where I go, that's way better. I'd much rather have all these special moments that were with specific people in specific times and places uh, than have like a record. I mean, that's what records are, is kind of a, a, a recording of that time and space you're in. But for me, there's a great joy in just having that thing kind of disappear into the wind, I guess. You know, it's also there's this is a little bit of a less positive spin on it, but there's there's been many times where I've recorded something like late at night and been like, yes, all right, that was fantastic, man. <laughs> all right, cool. I got I got that done, and I'm gonna come back and check this out in the morning. The morning and, after, you 
Yeah, and you listen to it, and you're like, oh, no. Oh, ooh, <laughs> what was I thinking? No, no that's terrible. And then it's yeah. like, it makes you wonder if, like, sometimes of those those moments when you're not recording, and you're like, man, I nailed it. Uh, sometimes you probably really did nail it. Mm-hmm. But I, I know for myself, personally, there's definitely been times where I did not nail it, even if I thought I did. But still, the feeling's what makes it real. So it doesn't really matter. That's mm-hmm. what's great. Yeah, well, I mean, if nobody's like cringing in front of you, then it's, I mean, a lot of the times when I have nailed it is because I felt that connection with people. So I'll be like, I'll like have thrown a, a little rooftop jam or something in Mexico with all my friends and, and, uh, and it's my turn to play. And then I start like making something and I, I see, I get everybody chuckling or, or smiling or kind of joining in. And I go, this is for me, that's nailing it. It's not like looking cool. I mean, I enjoy stringing together a really good rhyme, but for me, that nailing it is when I get the people hooked and they go, oh, this is, I'm having fun. I'm enjoying this. And and there's that moment where we're not thinking about like, oh, that guy's cooler than me or this guy's still my girlfriend or what, you know, like there's not that, there's no separation between us. There's nothing separating us in those moments. And that for me is, I think the nailing it more so than like sounding like a professional or like uh you know, Celine Dion. You guys have her down there? <laughs> do do we have Celine Dion? <laughs> you can keep her. I feel, like we, I feel like we've acquired Celine Dion at yeah, this point. Anytime a big boat sinks and you need a theme, you call her. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, that's a pretty good Canadian export, if you ask me. You know, I'm not somebody that sits yeah. down and listens to Celine Dion all the time, but you can't deny the pipes, man. They're they're yeah. there. No, she's she's a legend. We keep all no, the good I'll, stuff to ourselves, though. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> I've had Ariel posing on this show. He he mm-hmm. gets around. <laughs> yep. That dude's killing it. Um, he's, oh, he's Canadian. Yeah, he is. Yeah, definitely. My apologies, Ariel. He's from Winnipeg, I think. I believe. Oh, okay. Winnipeg's yeah. got some awesome music. I think because it's such okay. a terrible Apparently. place. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a bleak place. Everybody... Everybody who's from there loves and hates it. That sounds about like what I what I remember Ariel saying. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a very rough winter and it's kind of it's a very strange place. It's like driving through like Cold War era Eastern Europe or something like that's I've been there quite a few times. My brother used to play hockey for their uh, their NHL team there. And uh, so I, I spent some time there and it's it's, it's a place. It's, it exists. It's, <laughs> I'm not gonna not gonna go down as the guy who trashed Winnipeg for 20 minutes on your podcast, but it's an interesting place. But they had some great bands come out of there. One of the my favorites was Propagandi, who was a really oh, yeah. good uh, punk band. And then their softer incarnation, I think a couple of their members made Weaker Thans. I did not good. realize that it, that connection was there. Oh, yeah, I like both of those bands. Yeah, they're similar members and from Winnipeg. Okay, okay. And they have a song called I Hate Winnipeg, so <laughs> So it's not I'm I'm not talking out of school here. It's it's a legit sentiment. It seems like on like in reality it it's not somewhere I'll probably ever visit and it doesn't sound like somewhere that I hyper need to, but no. ever since I heard the name Winnipeg when I was a little kid, I I kind of wanted to for some reason. I don't know why. I have like a little thing of like I kind of want to see it. I don't know. It's I don't unique. really know why. It's a unique city. Like it feels like nowhere else I've ever been for sure. 
Uh, one of my favorite bands, Cancer Bats, has a song called Winter Peg, and uh, uh-huh. they're from Toronto, and mm-hmm. they uh, they are awesome. And that song absolutely will rip your face off if you're in the mood for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the nicknames I find. I think Canadians have all kinds of uh, funny nicknames for different places, and like we like to to joke about places like out here on the west coast they call ontario which is the province i'm from they call it ontarable <laughs> okay uh, all right yeah so there's like a little there's like a rivalry between locations um there's all kinds of there's a whole bunch of canadian place lore i could we could do a whole podcast about that but yeah I spent a lot of time just going to all the small towns and like hitchhiking and driving across this country it's been quite a quite a nice time. There's lots to see, but there's a lot of space, which is the great thing about Canada. There's a lot of space in between. Did it make the hitchhiking part harder, I imagine? Or is no. it easier because people no. are going such long distances? Yeah, exactly. Like long long hitches are way easier. Uh like if you're in a city, you gotta get to the very edge of it before anybody will pick you up. Like you have to take buses and so there's like all kinds of uh posts. I actually started a Facebook group for Canadian hitchhikers called the Canadian Hitchhikers Union and uh it's just kind of to share spots and stuff but like everybody's always posting like how do I get out of this town so that I can keep going because when you're you're just sailing across the country until you kind of get into cities I've been stuck in the middle of cities I've been dropped like on the middle of a concrete island in like a 20 lane highway in Montreal where I'm like oh thanks I actually had to call the the cops to pick me up I was like hey guys I, I literally can't cross this and I'm stuck here and they picked me up and drove me to the edge of town they were like, what are you doing in the middle of the concrete barrier, you dummy? Yeah. <laughs> some, some lady was going the wrong way. She was like on this highway and she was going to go north. And I was like, um, I need to get out. Right. I get I'm out. in danger. My life is well, in jeopardy at this moment. No, she was just she was just silly. But I have been in a few sketchy scenarios. But that one was just more in danger of her bad uh, navigation skills. Where it's like, if I stay in this car, I'm going to be way off track. Like, I'm going to go northern Quebec. And nobody really wants to go there as a hobo. It seems it seems cold. <laughs> it uh, seems it's, there's a, see, there's a surprising misconception about Canada. It's it's very cold, but only for part of the year, and then the rest of the year it's great. Like even the Yukon, the Yukon's way up north, and and the summers are hot, and there's black flies and bears, and it's I mean those aren't the selling features, but it's a gorgeous place in the summer. <laughs> there's bears that'll eat you, and flies yeah, yeah. that consume your flesh while it's left Visit over. It's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, similar to Oregon, Oregon has this perception, especially the Portland area of like, oh, it's gray and, and wet all the time. And, for, oh, yeah. you know, a big portion of the year, it I'm not going to say that's not true. But, man, our summers rule. Our summers are phenomenal here. So, yeah, it's like, well, you have your rainy season. Like we yeah. say we we share kind of some of that. Like I'm on the on the West Coast of Canada right now. And we're so we're not far. We're like we're in the same. We're in the Pacific Northwest. And so there's that season. And I always uh, explain it as um, it's kind of a trade off where here we don't get super cold, but we get that gray and rainy for a long time. It's kind of like the British winter, right, where you get that really depressing winter, but it's a little bit warmer. You can still kind of you'll have like a random sunny day in December where you can kind of go outside and do stuff. But uh, I find in Ontario where I grew up, we'd get like four feet of snow for five months and it was minus 40, but it was brilliant white and in kind of happy cold so it's kind of like a you choose your choose your misery for winter i have this this imagery in my mind of of the places i want to go in canada specifically the two cities i want to visit the most 
are Montreal and Toronto. Do you, yeah. is that is that a, like is that are those good destination spots? Yeah, what do you yeah. think? Yeah. Well, it depends what you're looking for. I lived in Toronto. It was quite a quite an interesting thing. Toronto's very uh gray, like lots of concrete and and it's very kind of I want to say it's not really bureaucratic. That's Ottawa. I grew up in Ottawa, which is like the capital. It's just you either work for the government or you serve them sandwiches. Um, so there was, wasn't a lot of art in Ottawa. But Toronto is kind of very, I'd say, more industrial, I want to say, but also multicultural. Um, and then Montreal is very multicultural, very artistic, but also very Quebecois. So it's a little more chaotic. Things are a little more affordable. Um it's it's a fun, funky place. Like I always, so I I grew up right on the border actually of Ontario and Quebec. So I was like on the the precipice of both worlds. And I went to school in French. So my parents sent me to school in French just to kind of have a, a better advantage later in life. And so I had a lot of Quebecois friends and then Anglophile friends. And so I always compared them this way. Whereas in Ontario, you would work. Uh, they were more serious, and they would kind of work your nine to five, and then on the weekend they would just let loose. Whereas I, and I found in, in Quebec, they would kind of, you know, they'd have that wine with dinner and it was more this, like, they didn't need to have that, uh, big blowout at the end of the week. Kind of, they were always just having their, their, they worked less hours. I think they made a little less money, but things were more affordable. And so they kind of had more of a, more enjoyment of life, which is a more of a European idea. Whereas Ontario was more British influenced, I find a more kind of about accomplishment and structure and there's a it's a loose um analogy but i just kind of that feeling of like quebec was a little more enjoy your life they did more like atv and snowboarding and and all kinds of wild stuff and then ontario was a little more demure i guess but uh toronto's okay toronto's good i'm not gonna hate on toronto montreal was a lot of fun there's a lot of art and culture to see in montreal it kind of has like this old europe feel you know like old stone buildings and little cafes and, and underground show venues and cool. I remember you probably like it because I remember walking down the streets of Montreal this one day. It was kind of the first time I actually spent time as a traveler in Montreal. And I walked through the street and just saw like, it was like one street that was just all these hilarious examples. It was almost like a, a movie scene where there's this one guy kind of recording street sounds with a mic and he's just like getting all this found sound stuff. And then like, I'd walk down the block and then there's these people doing a play and then these guys filming on the next block. And, you know, so like I'm going down the street and just all these kind of artistic like activities happening. And it was just this perfect introduction to like, this is Montreal. This is what it, what it's like. That sounds like a lot of fun. I've also heard, and this is a big thing with me. Like it's a huge thing with me that, uh, that it's delicious, that there's just amazing food there. And oh, that's, yes. That's enough to get me to go anywhere. Oh man, yeah. I'm a I'm a stomach traveler and yeah, I definitely Montreal was great. There's this falafel place you can get $2 falafels. And so we mm. go busk, we go play in the streets and then go buy rounds of falafels for each other and then go back out and play and just do that all day. Um and shawarma is a huge thing. I don't know if you've had shawarma mm. but it's oh, yeah. incredible. And in that region specifically, like I out here I don't get good shawarma. That's one thing I miss. But shawarma and poutine, if you can hit both of those, you can even get shawarma poutine if you're, if you're feeling crazy. But, uh, oh, that's yeah. like all kinds of my business. Oh, it's real <laughs> oh, good. Man. Yeah. They've perfected the comfort food for sure. 
So my my audience knows how much I love food, um, but they may, you know, I think it's becoming more and more of a known thing. But I, I feel like poutine might be Canada's like number one accomplishment, really. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so it's glorious. I'm pretty sure we invented the telephone, but poutine, yeah, poutine's pretty incredible. Mm, if I had to choose, that'd be tough. <laughs> um, Would you rather but... stay home and and eat poutine? Or talk to your friends. I think, mm. yeah, Putin. Putin probably edges ahead of the phone, but just a little just, bit. Just a little bit. Maybe yeah. can you explain Putin for all of the largely U.S.-based people down here uh, that are listening to this right now? Yeah. Okay. So Putin is, in essence, French fries, gravy, and cheese curds. However, <laughs> it's it's more than the sum of its parts. You have to do the fries right. You have to get the right gravy, and you have to get the right cheese curds. Anything else is not poutine. So if you just shred cheese on French, like I grew up and like we tried making it at home when I was younger. My parents are not from Quebec and they would like shred cheese and then just kind of canned gravy. And I was like, this is not poutine. And then I'd go to school no. and we'd go to like the ski hills in Quebec and we'd get ski hill poutine, which is by far the best. Uh, or the little shacks on the side of the road in a small town in rural Quebec is the best. But you have to get the cheese curds and they kind of squeak when you chew them. Mm hmm. Like they're like mm -hmm. a rubbery kind of thing. Oh man! And then yeah, there's different kinds of gravy depending. But yeah, it's a whole art form. And then so then these kind of chains opened up, and now you can get like um, smoked meat poutine, uh, like Montreal smoked meat, uh, which is like a um, kind of like a pastrami, I guess. Um, and those are insane. They do an Italian poutine, which is like they replace the gravy with tomato sauce. I don't consider that to be real poutine. It's, mm -hmm. it's that's a whole other thing. But uh, it might be good, but that sounds like it's something else. That's something else altogether. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I've even had like uh, like five star poutine where it was like a peppercorn gravy and like lobster in it. There's oh. all kinds of yeah. Oh. There's all kinds of ways to do it, but but the traditional one is is cheese curds and like a brown, a dark brown gravy and and some really nice crispy fries. Yeah, believe it or not, we actually have a few good examples. Uh, here in Portland. Portland is is really a great place for food in general. I uh, bet. There's not a there's not a lot of of things that we don't have. There are some things we don't have, but not a lot. There's the, the first time I had it was from a, a Portland food cart and it was just as you described. So mm -hmm. it, it it's really magical stuff. I I'm I would implore anyone to try poutine and <laughs> uh you know for your health. But it's That's it's dangerous though. You know, you, you have it once and then you want it all the time and and then you just you're huge after that. Well, it's it's usually a winter food because it's heavy in fats and so we like we all get fatter in winter. It's like just a natural biological thing. And so in Ottawa they have this uh, man-made canal that freezes over and it's the longest uh, skating rink in the world. And so it's like a couple miles. I'll do it in American. A couple miles long. And then on the ice, there's these little shacks, and they sell poutine, and they sell a thing called beaver tails, which I don't know if you've ever heard that. But uh, we farm beavers up here, and uh, we fry their tails. They're delicious. Oh, I'm sure. That sounds great. <laughs> no, it's actually a, it's a pastry shape like a beaver tail. It's kind of like a flat donut, I guess. Or, And then they put cinnamon, uh, sugar, and um, lemon juice on it, and you eat that while that sounds, skating. That sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah. So we eat that Not and poutine part, in winter. Though. I can't skate. Yeah. I, you can just stand and people can push you. I think there's a service now. It's like an Uber for the ice. 
Perfect. Yeah, because I I yeah. cannot ice skate. It is it is a <laughs> disaster to watch me on skates. It's an it's a nightmare. Whew. Flashbacks. <laughs> well, man, we're getting close to the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was this was a blast. Uh, before we get into the classic questions to wrap this mm-hmm. thing up, this is your chance to put up a billboard. You can say whatever you want to say. To if you've got something you want to tell a couple thousand people right now. Uh, now's the time, so go for it. Well, this is the best food pos- food podcast I've been on in a while. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I hope I hope maybe uh, I've inspired people to become homeless uh, or at least live in the moment. But uh, yeah, for for in terms of the amps and all that kind of stuff, uh, if you need something to to kind of help you accomplish your musical goals and play and different places and because they're not just for busking is the one point i try and get across i tried to make an amp that would be an everything amp so uh for recording for doing shows like the the nomads 50 watts so it's pretty powerful but uh, i'm trying to make things that help people that kind of solve problems for people um so yeah if you want to if you need some of that stuff you can hit me up on instagram template devices template devices.com i'm going to be doing a sale uh shortly i think um I'm just having some demos come out of the amp and then I'm going to announce a sale for the amps for spring. I'm doing like 60 bucks off. Uh, I can tell you here first, here's the exclusive. If you enter the code spring on the website uh, for the spring sale, you get 60 bucks off a nomad and I'm doing a giveaway of the splice to celebrate 3000 followers or to get to 3000 followers. Uh, So I'm going to be giving away a splice to somebody on Instagram as well. So you can check that out. We should have talked about the splice. All we talked about was the amps. <laughs> yeah, splice is cool. It solves some problems, you know. But uh, all the infos on my on my Instagram, there's videos, and it's pretty straightforward. But I also put kind of the instruction sheet on there, so it kind of breaks down exactly what it does. Um, but it was just again born out of the the necessity of traveling and and having one amp and needing to sing and play through the same amp. So it just makes it possible to sing with a proper XLR and EQ on the mic. And then run it through your pedals or your looper and then go into your amp. But you can also kind of use it for a whole bunch of other things. It's quite versatile. Perfect. That's a good, concise way of describing mm-hmm. it. I was going to be like, it does, it's a thing. <laughs> and here's all the things it does. But Well, yeah, if you get kind of bogged down in all the all the side features, but the main purpose of Splice is just to be able to sing and play guitar through the same amp, through one input, and have it sound Perfect. good to properly splice your your vocals into your guitar line. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. Here come the classic questions. Here we go. Mm-hmm. First one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to say a toss-up between the equalizer pedal, because it's mm-hmm. been super handy for me, and the attack decay or, or slow, what is it called? Slow gear? It's like an attack release pedal. Yeah, the slow gear. Yeah. yeah. I'd say slow gear or the equalizer. If you got to pick one, go for it. The EQ. EQ. Beating yeah. out the slow gear. Man, I didn't if see I had, that if I, Well, as a traveler, I, I only carry the, the most essential things. And one of those would be useful in a lot of situations. The slow gear is a lot of fun, but I could do that with the volume now if I had to. Like, I'm always thinking minimalistically as a traveler. Okay. All right. The EQ, was that the GE7? I, I can't remember so, yeah. the number. Yeah. yeah. 
Cool, cool. They're they're gonna go up. Their price is gonna go up on eBay now. Just watch. Uh, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> they're gonna skyrocket. I mean, I have done that a little bit with one pedal, the DE seven uh, delay. I, oh, that's, I that's love a that. Solid, yeah, it's a solid delay. I love that thing, and and I the prices keep going up, and I maybe should stop talking about it. Okay, I'm not gonna talk about it anymore. Uh, not before I buy a couple more. Anyway, last question, and this this may surprise you, but probably not based on how we wrapped up the conversation earlier. But this is a very important one, and it matters the most to this audience. All right. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Damn, that's tough. There's a place near me that does Napolitan-style thin crust with, like, flour imported from Italy. So you can, like, eat a whole pizza yourself and not feel bloated after. And it's quite mm-hmm. good. But I think I'm going to going to piss off a lot of people here. I think the best pizza I ever had uh, was this guy had this restaurant near here and he's gone now. And I dream about this pizza. It was kind of like a Chicago deep dish. So like he had these little kind of pans and he would cook the dough almost like a bowl and then just fill it with marinara and cheese. And it was like this almost like a pie. Like it was just like cheese melted on top and sauce and cheese. And it was heavenly. So I think that's like a Chicago deep dish. I've never yeah, had like the, a, the the real one, but it's like a mini version of a Chicago deep dish. It sounds like yeah, and it was oh my god, it just killed me. It sounds very good. It sounds it very so tasty. Good. The simple things, you know, you keep it simple. I like it. I like Cheese it a lot. And sauce. All right, thanks so much for coming on, man. This has been a great chat. I really yeah, really appreciate it. Of course, of course. So for Scott, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty. That was a good one. That was a very fun one. And I hate to be this guy, but the Patreon episode, it, it was even better. Scott had a lot to share with me. We barely talked about gear at all in the Patreon section. Instead, we delved into the topic of homelessness and from his perspective, what might be done about it and what you know, possible things that I was missing. And it was really eye-opening. And it's one of the things I love about this podcast is getting to hear different people's perspective because my perspective is so typical. And getting to have these different inputs and have these different conversations outside of the the thing that brings us all together, which is guitars and gear and tone and all that, which is obviously a delight for myself and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people. But getting those more in-depth moments is really what drives me to keep doing this and keep sharing and keep finding new people to talk to. And I really had no idea that the conversation was going to go where it went. So if you would like to hear that, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob. And for five bucks a month, you can get extra conversations delivered to your ears every week. And there are hours and hours and hours and hours over there on Patreon for those that are interested in that kind of thing. If you can't contribute in that way, I totally get it. But if you could please tell a friend, posting on social media is great. But I'll be honest, most of the new podcasts I find, they come to me through somebody who recommends it directly through word of mouth. And they say, hey, you would really like this show. This show would do a lot for you. You'd really get a lot of humor out of it. 
or something. You'd get something out of it. And if a friend is that insistent, I will go and check it out. And that is how I have found some of my favorite podcasts. So please tell a friend directly if this is a show you really like, because all those downloads are what keep this thing going and couldn't do it without you. Otherwise, I'd just be screaming into the wind. And uh, everyone knows I've done that enough lately. All right. I know you've got other things to get to. One last little plug. If you have not had a chance yet to check out my record, it's available exclusively on this podcast stream. The record is called Tom, Do You Have Anything Sharp on You? And that is the title of the podcast episode. I perform under the name American Cyclops, and it will be available exclusively through the podcast for a few more months. And we're working on some other stuff. Well, we by we, I mean me most of the time. Uh, I'm working on some other stuff related to it, maybe vinyl. And uh, yeah, if you could check that out and shoot me a message and let me know what you think about it, that would be great. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. Goodbye, folks. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.